0: SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing Show 71 with guests Joe Sack and Shreya Verma. Our guest today, uh, Joe Sack and Shreya Verma, both from the SQL Server product team. So welcome, folks. Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
1: Thank you, Greg.
0: Thanks for having us. So we've had Joe on the show before, but I'll get him to quickly recap because I know he's changed roles uh, as to what he's currently doing. And Shreya, the same then for you. Sure, Uh, absolutely. So so, uh, I work for
2: Microsoft. I came back to Microsoft uh, roughly two years ago. And uh, I'm a principal program manager on the SQL Server and Azure SQL DB team. And the last year I've been focusing on adaptive query processing for QP.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. And Shreya? So.
1: Um, so I'm program manager on the SQL Server team. I work for Microsoft. And uh, for the uh, last one year or so, I've been focusing on graph processing in SQL Server. That's
0: awesome. So, Joe, maybe we start with adaptive query processing. So, tell, tell us about it, and why, why do we want this? Sure, absolutely. So, uh,
2: Greg, you know that I've been interested in query processing for a few years now. Oh, yes. And so, <laughs> and so it's kind of my favorite area. And um, as you're familiar with, uh, th- there are a lot of things that the query processor does right, And then there are a lot of areas that have been problematic over the years. And um, uh, we're aware of a lot of the main issues. So if you look through Connect, there's this long tail of different issues. Some issues hit a few customers. Some are are more widespread. Uh, But we have a lot of work that still needs to be done uh, when it comes to solving overall query processing issues. And that's not just Microsoft. That's industry-wide. And... um, So adaptive query processing, the idea is instead of hitting one fix at a time, so saying, okay, here's the four fixes we're going to get for the next release, um, we want to start focusing on uh, solutions that can adapt based on poor assumptions and capture a, a group of different problem areas. Uh, and, and we have a few different techniques that SQL Server 2017 will be introducing, and then later in a few months or so we'll be seeing that in Azure SQL DB. Uh, but the idea behind adaptive query processing is if we've made a bad assumption, let's minimize the damage that that assumption made uh, mm-hmm. and actually correct. And some of the corrections are for consecutive executions. Uh, some of them are for intra-execution or even
0: intra-operator execution, and I could talk about yeah. each of them if you're interested. What uh, I suppose what we should start with is uh, maybe what leads to bad query plans in the first place.
2: Okay. Yeah, good question. So so uh, there are a few different things that can lead to a bad query plan. Um, it, on an easy day, uh, it could be something as simple as statistics, and, and let's say you're missing statistics, or your statistics are out of date, uh, mm-hmm. or... The statistics you're using that a predicate needs uh, might have uh, a bad representation, for example, the sampling versus a full scan of uh, the data, so you're missing an interesting distribution. Um, But really, we start with statistics and we start with assumptions. And if I have statistics that don't represent reality, I could end up making uh, a decision that's not optimal. Um, mm-hmm. So example being, if, if if I think that there's only uh, one row, but there's a million rows, uh, I might be doing a seek operation versus a scan. Yep. And there's also assumptions. So uh, uh, one, one mm-hmm. example I usually bring up around assumptions is uh, the independence assumption. Yep. Uh, so if we have multiple uh, predicates in a where clause, and uh, let's say make a model of a vehicle, uh, you and I know, that make and model are 100% correlated so that uh, a VW Golf, you know, for example, make a model uh, is 100% correlated. There's not a Honda Golf. Mm. Um, but the query optimizer does not know that unless I've provided multi-column statistics yep. uh, or a covering index. And so an example of an assumption would be, well, if we have two predicates, let's assume that their uh, selectivity is independent. And so if we think 10% of the rows qualify for VW, 10% of the rows qualify for golf, then we basically multiply uh, the selectivity and say, all right, we think 1% of the rows will be returned. So we underestimate.
0: So, yeah, Um, so So, cardinality estimates seem to be one of the the things that has traditionally caused lots of problems. Um, We did not that long back get an updated cardinality estimator. Um, Yes. Has there been feedback on how effective that's been?
2: You know, yeah, pl- plenty of feedback actually, mm-hmm. and and I think um I think we've learned from some of this feedback over the last couple of years because mm-hmm. um, the way it was framed was we had the new cardinality estimator and there's always this assumption that it's new therefore it must be better, um, but in fact we had the what we've been calling the legacy CE for several years um, and that has worked for quite a few different workloads. Uh, the new CE was tuned based on uh, workload characteristics that we thought were more realistic. Yeah. However, um, as with any set of assumptions, there are going to be scenarios where it's optimal for your workload and data distributions
0: and your schema or not. Mm. And so, yeah. What about uh, ascending key issues? Because that's, that's one that I still seem to strike in lots of places.
2: Yeah, so, so that's definitely, so ascending key issue would be an example where, you know, it's off histogram, so I, I get poor assumptions there. I, the new CE did some, uh, work around that, um, hmm. uh, versus the old CE. Um, but it's not always perfect, and if you have very hot uh, data up to the second, um, you can still run into issues. Yeah,
0: so that um, was so sort of trying to estimate. So the, uh, I suppose for yeah. listeners, the listeners, the common scenario is I have a, a, a large table and I insert a whole lot of rows, and they're quite different to the ones that are already in the table, but it's not enough to trigger new sets of statistics. And then I'm querying the table, but what I'm querying is the data I just put in so that it, it doesn't think there's any of that.
2: Yep, that's right. And, mm-hmm. and and that is quite common. The other one by the way, Greg is uh parameter sniffing. Mm-hmm. Um so so I have a parameter sensitivity. I have uh jagged distributions of data where uh maybe depending on the input parameter to the stored procedure, I might get one row back, but based on another parameter I might get millions of rows back. And so you don't have this one plan shape that fits all scenarios. Mm-hmm yeah that's also very common so with these themes like statistics and assumptions and ascending uh, key issues and parameter sniffing um, we can try to start solving those individually um, mm-hmm. or we could start trying to create adaptive mechanisms that are more holistic uh, and two thousand and seventeen is the first time uh, SQL server two thousand and seventeen this this is the first time that we're going into that area mm-hmm. it's it's a we're just getting started, um, but this is the first time that we're starting to add this capacity to adapt um, based on
0: real time runtime conditions. Mm-hmm. So in the case of parameter sniffing, which uh, yeah as you say, is obviously the most common uh, thing that tends to cause problems with that, um, is the approach to try and recognize the uh, typically two different patterns that are occurring uh, in in that query and then recognizing which one is which when you're trying to execute it? Or? So for parameter
2: sniffing, we're not
0: approaching that head-on for 2017.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, adaptive query processing can actually address it in a couple of different angles, but it isn't um, the direct solution. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so, for example, memory grant feedback, um, batch mode memory grant feedback, um, the concept behind that is if I have a spill to disk, because I underestimated how much of a memory grant I needed, or if I'm asking for too much, so I'm causing resource semaphore waits, what we can do is we update the grant size in the cash plan so that consecutive executions can benefit. Hmm. Now, if if I have a bad parameter sensitivity issue, like somebody jumps in, and they're the first one to compile the plan with a, a... a parameter that's not representing really the average parameter. Yep. So they come in and they have, they're asking for too little of a grant and then everybody suffers past that. Mm. Memory grant feedback would address that because it would basically update the grant size and then consecutive executions can work.
0: Yeah. So the, it, so the, so the, the basic problem there is that you allocate a certain amount of memory to the operator. You then find you need tons more. So it's actually yep. causing a spill and the spill is the thing that's going to be really, really slow and so what you're doing is what? Recognizing the fact that that's occurred and making sure the memory grant is bigger so that the spill doesn't occur? Exactly. And then yeah. so, so
2: it updates the cash plan. Now, here, that would address a parameter sensitivity scenario where it's very atypical to get uh, the small plan, but somebody happened to get in and it was bad luck, and so everybody yeah. doesn't suffer afterwards. Um, now, if you have somebody coming in and out where it's small plan, big plan, small plan, big plan, Uh, memory grant feedback would not address that, right? Because we might need a large grant, we might need a small one. Mm. And so, so parameter uh, sniffing sensitivity, all of those scenarios, they're top of mind. Um, and memory grant feedback can address it. Uh, the other thing mm. is uh, adaptive joins as well could potentially yep. address some scenarios, but not mm. every scenario.
0: Yeah, because look, one of the the most common things I see with parameter sniffing tends to be there. There are two very specific ways that something tends to get executed. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like it'd be best if we could sort of recognize which one is which, and and uh, and then head down the right path.
2: Yeah, agreed. And mm. and it's funny that you mentioned the two because that does
0: seem to be the theme where it's, yeah, yeah, uh, I mean, occasionally plan, you get others, there. but but yeah, it, yeah. It, it tends to be two. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That's and right. it's it's usually either a small number of rows or a lot of rows. <laughs> you know, right. Right. Yet. Two different two different kind of uh, uh, plan shapes, and and then
2: also mm. you know you you get like the nested loop plan versus the hash plan, and one with big grant, one with little. Mm. But yeah, absolutely, is, we so see that a lot there, with different uh, customers.
0: Is there any work towards um some of the operators as well that that don't uh, or the operations that don't uh, or I suppose I actually should say language elements uh that that don't provide appropriate estimates at all um so I'm sort of wondering about I see things like say the nodes mm-hmm. method uh mm-hmm. the xml and it, it, again it's just got no idea uh when when it is right yeah so off things. model mm-hmm. yeah so so
2: uh, off model we don't handle it directly. So, so one example where we're trying to, to create mechanisms to address this would be uh, the interleaved execution feature. Mm-hmm. Um, so interleaved execution, we aimed it specifically at multi-statement table valued functions for, mm. for the first version. Uh, and that would be an example similar to the XML example you brought up, mm. uh, where um, with MSTVS we just guess. Um, so prior to yeah. 2017, you know, it was a hundred row guess for 2014 and 2016 or a one row guess mm. for, uh, before that.
0: Yeah, some of those Tencil. used to be really big guesses. I, I remember some were like 10,000 or something. You know, It was like crazy big guesses. Yep. Yep. And the uh, the scenario I, I came across with that quite a bit is I'd uh, see somebody passing, say, a little lump of XML with uh, the roles that a user was in or something like that, mm-hmm. some sort of security descriptor or something, and then the, they would pass that into the proc and then they would call the nodes method on that XML and <laughs> join that with the the thing that they were trying to process to work out if somebody was in the appropriate role. And, yeah, those cardinality estimates just blew it out of the water completely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I remember uh, Steve Cass made a really, really good point, is that uh, I remember years ago he was saying, look, even though you don't want to parse the entire XML before making a decision, uh, there are things there that could potentially get a a better rough idea. So, so for example, if... um, a lump of XML is only 300 bytes in total, you don't have to parse it to know there's not, like, 10,000 rows in it. Mm-hmm. So, yes. so, so the thing it's is... just, just like, the, educated heuristics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just some sort of, like, educated guess that you could make in some of those operators without yeah. doing a whole lot of intrusive work. Mm. Yes, yeah, and I, and I think, so, so with interleaved execution,
2: um, the example there is we already knew that we materialize MSTVFs behind the scenes hmm. and so why not get the cardinality from it uh, and uh, and there are other areas that uh, also do this kind of either full or semi materializing that we might be able to leverage in the future hmm. uh, so this is the first time for interleaved execution this is the first time that we've had a process where we can go in and out of optimization and execution yep so um, so when you're bringing up things like XML query, or, you know, another popular one is uh, something like a recursive CTE or uh, a group by Um, roll-up. There's a a few other examples, uh, things that are off-model typically.
0: Um, Mm. Those are definitely uh, targets that are on um, our map.
2: Yeah, actually,
0: while uh, just quickly mentioning the sure. CTE one, um, not so much recursive CTEs, like, I mean, yeah, I, I sort of accept that they're not not going to be terribly optimal uh, most of the time, um, but where we've sort of strung a whole bunch of CTEs one after the other, I know Paul White has some excellent examples where he sort of shows the progressive multiplying of errors in the statistics by the time we get <laughs> right. further and further down the query, uh, it right. just, just gets worse and worse and worse. and it, for that reason, uh, he ends up often sort of suggesting that people at a certain point in the query materialise it out to a temp table or something yeah. s- simply so that it corrects the statistics up to that point and then continue on uh, where where otherwise. And so I was sort of wondering about if there was any way to sort of learn where you've got like uh, multiple CTE queries just, just to somehow be able to sort of learn what's going on. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, so so this is the trick, though, because if I have this uh, Swiss Army knife string of different CTEs, and and by the way, the technique of intermediate materializing, that's something that I've had to do a lot with different consulting Mm. engagements um, to to just keep things simple for the query optimizer. Yeah. Um, But the trick is, um, if we introduce a feature, then the, the question becomes, do we want a customer to explicitly indicate that I want to materialize this subtree? Or do we want to be smart enough to figure it out on ourselves, by ourselves?
0: So uh, do we want to look be, at this and go, yeah. It would be interesting to have an option to be able to specify or to ring-fence the things that need to be materialized. Um, right. uh, I'm just thinking, it, it's interesting. I've been doing a bit of work on Postgres lately, and the behavior in that is that every CTE is materialized uh, at, at each point. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the weird thing is that they see that as an advantage Uh now, now I don't. I mean, if I have a a beginning of a CTE that that reads a whole bunch of customer things, and then way down the bottom I have a where clause that says just for this Great. customer, yes, I do love the the uh, the SQL Server action where it'll go back up and sort of in the very beginning of the CTE it'll only retrieve the stuff for that customer, whereas mm-hmm. in the case of the Postgres one, it's going to read the entire thing and and then continue on down. But but there are times, yeah, where it'd be kind of nice to be able to to sort of ring-fence certain layers of a CTE and be able to go, yeah, you know, reassess the outcome right at this point rather than in an entire query. Yeah, so so your preference would be, uh, you know, give some kind of indication. And
2: and that, that leads to another question is, uh, will the average customer know that this is appropriate to do this at this point in time? For example, oh, yeah, this is something yeah, I would yeah, want yeah. to materialize. No. Um, versus is there something that we can do um, so if you talk about interleaved execution at a generalized way, not even specific to MSTVFs, is there a way that we could say, you know what, this subtree has a very high probability of misestimates? Yeah. Um, and then based on that, we, you know, it reaches a tipping point, and so we materialize. Um, mm-hmm. Those, we're, we're not there yet. Um We're taking baby steps so we don't uh, uh, create... Regressions, yep. um, but we have chosen, for example, MSTVS for an easy target. There's a couple of other targets that might be easy as well for future iterations. Uh, but definitely CTEs and materializing, not just recursive, like you said, have that's that's been a request that I've heard mm-hmm. before.
0: Yeah, yeah look, at, look, in general, I actually think it's a really bad idea, um, the, yeah. the materialising <laughs> each each level of the CTE. In fact, I, I almost consider that a bug in Postgres where the, the purists there seem to regard it as some sort of badge of honour, the fact mm-hmm. that they do it that way. Um, but mostly because they use that intentionally to... To optimize a query. So the thing is, they'll intentionally do each layer of it, and and that'll be part of their optimization process. And then your challenge is, to, how do I push this
2: predicate there earlier?
0: That's right. And, uh, so, and, yeah. and of course, the irony in that is you'd end up getting a predicate and pushing it potentially multiple times up through uh, yeah. different parts of the CTE. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we won't likely be doing that. So. Yes. But, but, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad, actually, because I, I think in, on average, I think that actually uh, would give a much worse outcome. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. But, but yeah, I do see ones where you, you get that sort of multiplication effect uh, as you go through different layers of it. And, and I think everybody has examples of multi-layer CTEs where things have just really got out of hand.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even just regular, uh, the, just the enormous queries that do everything and they have the predicates that, um, say, you know, either it's null or it has this value that I've passed in. Mm. Uh, and there's no possible, uh, single plan that could optimize for uh, every variety. Um, those are ones that, uh, uh we see are very common as well. Mm. Uh, and we're still working on, uh, yeah. thinking of what, what is the best way to address this without having to put in a lot of knobs. Mm-hmm.
0: And the relationship between uh, this and the query store, yeah, how does, yeah. How does that fit? So uh, if we,
2: so the adaptive Q- QP really is uh, the feature family name, um, but the three features I already mentioned: memory grant feedback for batch mode. Mm-hmm. There's uh, batch mode adaptive joins. So the idea there is, um, if I have uh, an outer build input that could qualify as the outer reference for a nested loop operation or uh, the outer reference for a hash operation. Mm-hmm. Um, we can essentially create this threshold that says, you know what, at a certain tipping point, we want to go with a hash join, um, but anything less than that, we want to go with a nested loop operation. And this so is sing-
0: Does oh, that oh, actually cover um, the sort of deferring the join choice? Um, Correct. Yeah, so the idea is, like, maybe I've got two inputs and maybe I finish scanning the first one before I decide how to hit the second one. Exactly, yeah. So so we basically, if, if a join qualifies for both a hash operation
2: and uh, a and nested a look-up loop or operation. Yeah, nested loop, yeah. Yeah, and with, a, with a specifically a seek on the inside, uh, uh, then uh, it will qualify for adaptive join, and also it has to be batch mode mm. uh, for this first version. Uh, and what we do is we look at the cost of both alternatives and we create an intersection between them so mm. we know that it's less costly at the beginning if you have a few rows trickling through that nested loop is likely going to be more ideal yep. and then at a certain point nested loop is much more expensive than hash join if you yeah. have you know 10,000 rows yeah. so we look at that threshold and if you hit that threshold Um, we will move forward with a build and a probe phase. Um, Mm. And if if, uh, we do not hit the threshold, we'll still reuse that outer uh, adaptive buffer uh, as the outer reference for a nested loop uh, and an actual index seek operation.
0: Mm.
2: Uh, And the, the virtue of this is it's one cache plan. Yep. So if you do have these uh, up and down, you know, where sometimes the uh, in one of the hints, by the way, is if you see somebody actually putting in a query hint that forces loop or forces hash, yeah. uh, they might be doing this because they're in the situation. But you have one plan that can handle both, uh, accommodate both mm-hmm. based on the outer join reference.
0: Yeah. I, I've often sort of wondered, you know, if, it's almost like if in doubt, you'd think it should do a hash join instead of a nested loop. Anyway, because the, the the main thing that seems to be problematic with a lot of the parameter sniffing it is the fact that we end up with an enormous number of lookups where we yeah. shouldn't be doing that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and just burns up CPU. And you're, yes, you know, a million a million mm-hmm. on the outer. So so you have adaptive join, you have interleaved execution for multi statement table valued functions, um, and these are all interoperable with. Um, well, let me let me be specific. So Adaptive Join, you're going to see that cache plan in Query Store. Mm-hmm. Um, interleaved Execution, same thing. Uh, once the first time the interleaved execution process goes through and it grabs the revised cardinality estimate of the MSTVF, um, that cache plan will be reusable in cache, but it will also be captured in Query Store.
0: Yeah.
2: And then Memory Grant Feedback, uh, we update the cached plan. We don't actually mark anything in Query Store. Um, but we're we're talking about what that would look like in the next uh, version, or if there's uh, mm. specific artifacts we could leave behind that could at least provide a history. Uh, but that's not in uh, uh, that's not going to be in GA for
0: 2017. Mm. I know in uh, I, rem- I remember reading in Oracle uh, 12, I think it was 12.2 or something like that. They had adaptive joins, but they also had a sort of an adaptive parallel distribution method as yes, well. Yes, that's right. Um, is there anything in those sort of areas?
2: Not the three that I mentioned are what we're we're landing in two thousand seventeen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it, we have we have lots of ideas though. <laughs> so, you know, lots of ideas, and, and a relatively small team. Uh, yes. It's, so the QP team was work, been working both on this and Graph. Hmm. Uh, so we're we're just working on the next planning cycle as we speak.
0: In in terms of overall query uh, performance problems in SQL Server, mm-hmm. um, one of the things. I'm just sort of wondering if there's tooling coming at all more to help with uh, what what I consider the more general problems, right? So what, one of the things I find fascinating is that I often see from product support, they'll publish a thing that says, look, here are the the, the 10 most common performance problems or something like that. Um, but but what strikes me is that they don't normally ever see the most common performance problems um, because because there's all this world of people who deal with, 99% of those before they get to product support um, and so because if I look at like general SQL Server performance problems I, I would say 70% of them are app design issues in the first place mm-hmm. uh, and many many of those get dealt with long before it ever gets near the product and, and then there's probably another 20 or so percent of issues with you know, indexing and things and then it gets you know more and more uh, specific as it goes on but i'm just sort of wondering if if there's any thought about more investment in the in in you know being able to deal with the vast bulk of what tends to cause the query problems
2: well so so like the, there's a few different angles right because you talk about the end to end like application mm-hmm. patterns or yeah. if you're dealing with orms and you know there's different characteristics there i would say um the the most likely uh, uh, was, uh have you heard of automatic tuning uh, yes, uh, being introduced yes, yeah, so 2017 there's automatic tuning and then that, that will be in Azure SQL DB as well. And the concept there is uh, we l- learn from history uh, mm-hmm. and if we see that there's a plan regression, uh, we can actually take the last known plan that was not uh, seemingly regressing, and we can apply it on your behalf.
0: What no. what I was sort of wondering with the automatic tuning, I'm wondering what I'm wondering how those algorithms are because, for example, if I look at the existing missing index DMVs, the yeah. uh, it will often suggest say let's say um, an index on column A and B, and then it'll say look include column C, but it but it doesn't work out things like if I instead of including column C, I had pushed it up as the second component of the index. I'd then avoid the sort in the next operator. You know, there's right. a, a, a sort of more complex just rearrangement of, of how. And so I'm sort of wondering when it does the sort of automatic tuning, are we still really at the level of what the missing index thing does or is there an attempt to try and well, go
2: so, further than that? So for automatic tuning, that one is, it, it, for the first version, they're looking at CPU time. Yeah, and they're looking at okay. We we know that because it, it leverages Query Store, and it says, you know what? I've got a query ID, and I have multiple plan IDs, hmm. and I and it it goes through a learning phase. So if if we were to react just based on one or two executions, that wouldn't be good because you yes. have all kinds of variation. Um, So let's say, hypothetically, 20 executions uh, were running at 30 milliseconds, and then all of a sudden a plan ID 2 pops in for the same query, and now Mm. it's 300 milliseconds, and you see a few executions. Mm. Um, From that, it literally goes, you know what, Um, I think that there's a regression, and at this point there's a new dynamic management view that will surface that. Uh, If you don't choose to automatically address it, it will just surface it and say, hey, this looks like a regression. Um, And then uh, if you do have automatic tuning, it will... Take that prior plan; it will force it. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is that it will let it go if there's different events like that are recompilation related, and there's a a list of it in documentation. Okay.
0: Um.
2: So, so that's really what it's doing there. But um, my point. So this is
0: so it's mostly to force a plan uh, if it sees a a plan regression.
2: Yes, and it will. Mm-hmm. It, so it'll go through a learning phase, then it'll go through a verifying phase. So if it forces the plan, it'll go, let's verify if this was actually helpful. If mm-hmm. it wasn't, it will let it go. So that's yep. the other interesting thing. So it will go, you know what, this wasn't quite useful. Um, let's go back to, or actually let's do a new uh, recompile event or a new compilation mm-hmm. event. Um, now, uh, thematically kind of going to your earlier point of, uh, are we going to start looking holistically at like the top 10 anti-patterns out there? And I think a lot of this is being driven from running a service. So if you talk about Azure SQL DB as a service, I mean, the fact that we are now um, seeing these massive themes and there isn't uh, a DBA on staff. Like these are all engineers and and, uh, sometimes some PMs get involved as well. Uh, I think now that we're feeling the pain, uh, more acutely instead of it just going to CSS, yep. uh, I think you're going to start seeing these broader patterns get addressed as we go along. Mm-hmm. And it might sometimes land in Azure SQL DB first and then make its way into SQL Server um, depending on the product cycle we'll see.
0: Yeah, because look, uh, example I'd, I'd often give is you know often I look at a query and All of the DBA end of things says how do I make that query run ten or twenty or thirty percent faster, Mm -hmm. but the right question might be why are you running that query twelve thousand times a minute with the same parameters? Yeah, I think we still need human beings for that one. (laughs) Yeah, but that's the thing I'm getting at is that that's the right question. You know, right, where the right. how to, how to make it run faster, that query is the really the wrong question or, or, or it's the back end of the thing. And I'm sort of wondering Absolutely. about, it's going to be interesting really if, if we're trying to deal with automatic stuff more is, is trying to work out and recognize, you know, you've got this pattern here that, that, that just doesn't make sense.
2: Yeah. Good, good point. And actually, so they, I, I heard that comment a lot over the last month at different conferences, and mm. uh, basically the concern of are you taking away a DBA job. And the way I separated this out is is there's mitigation and then there's root cause analysis. Yep. Um, the automatic tuning is mitigation. So if something's hmm. happening at 3 a.m. and you were going to sift through Query Store anyhow and force yep. that plan and give it a try, why not let us do it for you? Yes. Uh, but root cause analysis, uh, we're, we're not in that place where we can, on your behalf, go, you know, it doesn't make sense that you're, you're calling this 82 times, why aren't you caching this? Or yes. or why are you even constructing it like this? This should be two procedures. Yes. Uh, that is still very much into uh, uh, the role of the DBA.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I actually see it um, almost like uh, a lot of the DBAs I talk to, um, they're, they're sort of wondering about where they're heading. And to me, the... The main thing there is they need to come a little further up the stack uh, because unless you can get involved in the application side of things and, the, and that sort of middle ground between the two, uh, to, to me that's where the real power comes back in being able to have a big... And I think I was saying that because if, if I look at general things, as I said, I, I actually think it's probably 70-odd percent of the real issues come in, in that sort of part. And so, yeah, yeah, I think there is a career role there for people to just just push a bit further up the stack.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree, and and I think there's a lot of fun there too. Uh, even if you think about the machine learning and, and integration of R and Python, mm. uh, there are a lot of really interesting uh, solutions in the DBA turf uh, yep. that if if a DBA picked up R or Python, they could apply it in that space, and and it would uh, make for an interesting job. Mm. Uh, so so we shall see. It, it I think a lot of change over the, even just the last two years.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's completely fascinating. And so, and we've got Shreya very quietly in the background there, so <laughs> we should uh, chase your out. Yeah, we're
1: getting all
0: Yes, <laughs> and they're all good. So we, now, and so grid, uh, our graph support, sorry, what am I saying, grid, um, graph support in SQL Server 2017. So, so I suppose we start with why, why do we want this?
1: All right. So uh, we started working on this uh, about a year ago. And Mm -hmm. uh, when we were talking to customers, uh, we were trying to figure out why would customers need this new type of graph processing capabilities Mm -hmm. and why are they turning towards new graph databases now. Uh, Because SQL Server has been trusted by enterprise-grade applications for many years now, and uh, people are finding use cases for a different Mm -hmm. kind of database
0: and we were quick question, is that a general approach now? The thing I like is the approach from SQL Server seems to be to embrace these different types of technologies uh, rather than where people tend to go off and, you know, instead of having a separate in-memory database and a separate graph database and a separate NoSQL database and so on and so on, uh, being able to have all of this stuff in a single product and, and to be able to make choices there.
1: Uh, that is what something that we wanted to do. So um, uh, we, we felt like people trust SQL Server already, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, we felt like if they have new kind of needs for their evolving applications or their evolving data, they shouldn't need to turn to a different product for that. Yes, and mm-hmm. we should be able to give them something within the single same product, and so that they don't have to you know move their data around in different products. Yeah. And,
0: and, and so uh, look in the case of Graph, um presuming the the major use case for this is hierarchical data?
1: Yes, so we were talking to customers and we realized that uh, their pain points came around hierarchical data or highly connected data, you know, even when you have a hierarchical tree and there are connections between the levels, uh, like if your leaf nodes are connected to each other. Mm. There was not a very easy way to represent that in in SQL Server, or if... And people would do that, like, if it is highly, highly connected data with many-to-many many relationships. Mm. People could do that still with junction tables. Uh, but one, implement it one, always. Was, oh, yes. sorry.
0: One thing hanging around in the product still is the hierarchy ID from SQL Server 2008. Um, yes. Do you know if anybody actually uses that? Yes,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just, I, I find very,
0: very few. Um, one of the things that I, I, I never liked about the design of that is that it was trying to sort of look at a tree structure, but it was trying to look at it from the point of view of a single node. And t- to me, it didn't have a sort of a view of, of what's going on around it, where in the case of the, the graph processing, the thing I like here is that you're defining tables as nodes or tables as edges and, and so on.
1: Right. Yeah. So that was some uh, one of the problems that we were trying to address. We are also trying to address with, with graphs now uh, mm-hmm. because we heard customers complaining about it, that you can just go from one node down to other nodes and you cannot really have connections between between the nodes. Or you cannot, for example, you cannot have two parents of a child.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, look. I, th- I think there were heaps of things with hierarchy ID. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of the ones that seemed to be unfortunate. Actually, it came out in CTP one for 2008, and there was this whole barrage of feedback going, "Oh, no, 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 no." And I felt sorry. It, it, it was almost like the team that did it had been spun down again, or something, and there was somebody there to do bug fixes. And all of the feedback seemed to be like, "You need to rewrite this," and uh, and and then it, it just sort of shipped like it was. And uh, uh, I. I don't know, it seemed, it seemed problematic. I mean, it just had so many basic things, you know, like you could move, re uh, reparent a node, but it would uh, orphan all of its children, and it would do all of these sorts of things. And uh, it, it just seemed like a really clumsy thing to have to work with. Plus, um, the other thing I found with it is it really wasn't sort of... Uh, uh, sort of safe in in terms of uh, race conditions and things like that, and nearly every operation to make it work properly, you had to do sort of like serializable stuff, w- which was typically the last thing I'd, I'd actually want in there. Where where I look at the the beginning of the graph things now, and it seems to be much much better thought out. And so yeah, it looks good.
1: Yeah, we are trying to improve. Yes. <laughs> so um, so uh, anyway, so. Yeah, customers said that um, uh, they, they liked graph databases because uh, it, would, it was very easy to represent uh, re- entities and relationships, many-to-many many relationships yep. specifically. And then uh, traversal queries was much more easier with uh, expressing a traversal query was much more easier with a graph database because they felt that the, the way they draw it on board is the way they write a query. Right. Yep. so you go from node 1 to node 2 to node 3, and that is how you write the query in a graph database language.
0: So I so suppose, I, suppose yeah. I should get you to define uh, node and edge and so on for those that have not looked at that yet
1: yeah so 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 we decided that we will build this capability in SQL server so what is a graph database really it is a collection of nodes and edges nodes represent entities and yeah. edges re- represent relationships but yeah. then you might ask well, how, how is it different from a relational database because yes. we have to <laughs> and relationships which is foreign keys so uh, the main difference comes in in, in the way um, Edges can represent relationships in graph database where they can be uh, they can represent many to many relationships. Mm-hmm. And if you see at our current implementation, a given edge in in SQL Server can actually connect any type of node to any other type of node in the graph. So, Mm -hmm. uh, for example, if you you have a social network graph like LinkedIn, a person node can connect to another person node via the likes edge or can connect to an article node or can connect to uh, an organization node via the same likes edge, right? So uh, a same type of edge can be used for multiple reasons. Uh, Mm. uh, In case of foreign keys, you can just have one foreign key to connect one table to another table.
0: Hmm. Um, so so if- in the case of uh, a node, so we, we basically say create table, but we say create table as node uh, mm-hmm. at, at the end of the definition of that. And, and that then gives us the ability to have a node ID effectively mm-hmm. um, in there. Yes. And then so- the columns are the, the properties of the node.
1: Yes, so when you create a table in SQL Server Graph, now you uh, uh, you can create it as a node or as an edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, node is your entity, and uh, when you create a node table, you get an implicit column that is node underscore ID, dollar node underscore ID, mm-hmm. which is unique yep. identifier for that node. Mm-hmm. And when you create an edge table, you get three implicit columns, which is dollar uh, edge ID.
0: Yeah, um, so the, the well, identifier for the edge itself... Yes. And, and, and then uh, from and to, which I must admit, uh, I wish were called from node ID and to node ID, but anyway, <laughs> but, but they're, they're called from ID and to ID, yep.
1: From ID and to ID. It's simple to use. <laughs> mm, so uh, from ID and to ID define the nodes that uh, the, the given edge is going to connect.
0: As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL and Under offer mentoring services, and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track, or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www. Dot SQL Down Under dot com.
1: From ID and to ID, define the nodes that uh, the the given edge is going to connect. So now if the you
0: edge see, the edge itself can have properties though too.
1: Yes, the edge mm-hmm. can may or may not have any user-defined attributes or properties associated to it. Yep. So uh, a common
0: a, common one might be applicable date range or something like that.
1: I'm sorry, I didn't get that. Uh,
0: I was wondering, um, the sort of properties you might often have on an edge might be like the range of dates during which this is uh, applicable?
1: Yeah, it could be date, or if let's say if you think of a Yelp-like application, when you like a restaurant, you rate it, right? So that Mm -hmm. rating is the property of an edge, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah, so so one node is the person, the other node is the restaurant, and the edge... Yeah. Is the connection, the but it also has a property that says rating. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yep.
1: So so that's an example. And uh, so if you see at the edge definition, when you create an edge in SQL Server, you really don't specify which nodes this edge is going to connect. Mm-hmm. It's only when you insert the data, uh, you insert the from ID and to ID values, and that time you basically define which nodes this edge is connecting, mm. uh, given given I just connecting, so it, it, basically you can use a single relationship for multiple purposes, right? Between yep. different types of nodes, and uh, uh, it, it's and with the query language extensions that we have introduced in SQL mm. Server 2017, uh, it is easy to express pattern matching or multi-hop traversal yep. query.
0: Yeah, so multi-hop is important there too. But the so the main new word is the match predicate. So we can say, yes. where match from this right. to that via this edge?
1: Correct, yeah. That's the new built-in that we have introduced. Mm-hmm. And you basically go from one node to another via an edge in that. Yep. And uh, um, in, the, in the first release, however, you don't have a, a capability to do arbitrary number of uh, hops or arbitrary length traverses. Yep. You have to specify the entire path that you are going to traverse. Hmm. Uh, but uh, in future releases, we will introduce some more functionality and more capability.
0: So. Yeah, it's sort of, uh, it's it strikes me, it's reminiscent a little bit that sort of multi-hop stuff would be to uh, the things in Power BI where you can say related table and it doesn't matter how many hops away, there's a a, a mm. path to get to it, sort of thing, and it, it really does simplify the syntax in in the case of Power BI dramatically. Um, but but again, exactly. in that case, there had to be sort of like a natural uh, navigation path between the different things. Um, I suppose one of the things that uh, some databases have that we've never sort of had is like just a natural join. Um, mm-hmm. As well, and sort of, yeah, it, it often sort of strikes me is that, that that's something that would be kind of neat in SQL Server somewhere along the way. Maybe, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing I notice in all of the example of syntax that I've seen, they tend to mm-hmm. go from uh, sort of node table 1, comma, and then they'll say, look, edge table, comma, you know, node table right. 2, uh, right. where, and so on. And it just sort of it, it strikes me, it looks more like um, older join syntax, you know, where we go from table, comma, table, comma, table, uh, and then have where clause, where the, the ANSI guys got in and went, nah, really, you should go from table, you know, in a join table, and so on. It just sort of, yeah. um, I just wondered, is there any thought to sort of like a, a more explicit uh, replace? I suppose join's the wrong word, but um, a, a more explicit way of specifying the, uh, the navigation in right. uh, as part of like an on or a from clause rather than having it down in the predicate with a with a match
1: yeah so uh, we we have got that feedback from some customers other mm. customers too um, so we do plan to support it uh, in future releases, however
0: because mm. uh, it, it strikes me that i'd rather go from yeah table comma table comma table uh, or oh, sorry, i'd rather go from table, comma, I don't know, match table, comma, match table or something, and then be able right. to have the where clause with, you know, and, oh, by the way, the person's name is John. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah, yeah. so this this was our, uh, our first release, and
0: mm.
1: we, uh, we wanted to come out with the functionality. Uh, we did that, and then uh, we did get this feedback that... Um, people are used to using the ANSI style of join syntax.
0: Yes, yes,
1: yes. If their applications, they would like to use, continue using the same style of join syntax. Mm. So, uh, we do plan to extend the syntax later on in future to support ANSI style of joins.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: Yeah. But in SQL Server 2017, um, we have this comma separated list in the from class. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I just know that already in so many sites that sort of breaks their coding standards and things they check for. Exactly, the, um, yeah. uh, now, in terms of uh, any, is any of this ANSI compliant in any way? Is, is there an ANSI equivalent of how this is normally done?
1: So, this is not a standard yet, Match. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there is no standard graph language as such, yep. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Cypher or Gremlin or any other popular graph uh, querying language is not standard either. Mm-hmm. So, uh, however, there are talks for uh, standardizing a graph language, and mm-hmm. uh, we are part of those dis- discussions. So, yep. uh, we will hopefully influence that, and hopefully we will we will see some standards coming out of those in in future. Mm-hmm.
0: And I suppose the next thing is it's it's great to have uh, a way of expressing all this. Uh, the next thing is how well does the query processor <laughs> and so on uh, deal with that, and uh, is, is this an area that Joe's looked at as well? Or?
1: Yeah. So, um, so the uh, currently the query. P- Uh, If you write a match query or a graph traversal query, the query processing happens exactly the same way it will happen for our tables. There are certain optimizations that we have introduced with match in the first release. There will be more. Going forward, and uh, that's why we created these separate node and edge tables, Mm. uh, so that we can introduce optimizations later on. And for complex traversal algorithms also, we will need those. Mm. So uh, there will be optimizations. There are a few right now, Um, uh, but... um, Right now, currently in the current state, actually, for most of the queries, your performance will match exactly the way it uh, if you would do it, it using tables.
0: Yeah, I regular. suppose that's the next question: is that how do you see? I mean, given the fact that I could have had a node ID and an edge ID in a from and a to, and so on, in a standard mm-hmm. relational table, uh, mm-hmm. what do you see as the advantage of doing it this way? apart from maybe the match predicate makes it a bit clearer what's going on, Uh, and I suppose it's a standard way of expressing the relationship. Right.
1: Right. So, so like I said, there are certain optimizations that we have introduced. So, if you just Mm -hmm. write it your own way using from, if you create your own node ID from ID to ID and everything, and you implement it in your own way, uh, there will be some optimizations that we do, which you will not get by just writing the query that way. And uh, there will be more in future, which uh, uh, which you will not
0: get with with, the. Oh, look! I I think one of the things that I like about this sort of thing is it's it's quite declarative. So the thing is, you're telling SQL Server what you're trying to achieve, not how to do it. And Mm -hmm. and yeah, that always strikes me like uh, enhancements to the query optimizer and things can always do something for you if they understand what you're trying to achieve
1: yeah exactly yes and um, plus you get uh, when you use this in sql server i mean i always tell this to my customers that uh, sql mm-hmm. server has been in market for 30 years and you know relational database technology is quite mature technology and yes. we has 40 years of research academic and industry mm-hmm. so the optimizer though there might be some problems for which we are coming out with adaptive query processing now, yeah. but it still does a very good job.
0: Uh, That's great. And look, and the code. Node ID itself, and so, um, w- actually, what I haven't looked at, what data type does that show as? So the
1: Node ID, when you select a Node ID from a table, you will see it as a JSON string.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so you will see which table this belongs to and which schema. Because it,
0: it seemed to be made up of the object ID and, uh, and, and like just an int or something shoved on the end, or maybe a big int shoved on the end.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes internally it is stored as an integer, and it's mm-hmm. a combination of object ID and an internal identity or sequence column. Actually.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are there any limits uh, on the number <laughs> of uh, entries in the node table, for example? No. Okay. No. So you
1: can insert as many records in a node table as you can in a table, in a regular table.
0: Yep, okay, that's correct. Um, and are there any formatting functions uh, that mm-hmm. allow you to do any sort of, uh, any work on, say, the node ID, like, for example, extracting the object ID? or
1: Yes, so there are some built-in functions uh, mm-hmm. that you get with uh, with, this, with these and... Uh, uh, they are, uh, like, you can extract the object ID from parts or node ID from parts, and yep. and they, they are documented in our documentation online. So uh, mm-hmm. you can go and read the architecture documentation, and it has all those built-in functions.
0: Yeah. Now, when you declare the table uh, as Node or as Edge, uh, are there any automatically created indexes uh, to support that?
1: Yes. So when you create a node table, we create an implicit, uh, we recommend users to create a unique index uh, mm-hmm. on the on the node ID column. But if one is not created while creating the table, then we create one unique non-clustered index on node ID. Mm-hmm. And similarly, we create one unique non-clustered index on edge ID column also. Uh, and if you have an OLTP workload, we, we recommend our, our users to create an index on from ID and to ID on edge table.
0: Yeah, 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 so that's for sure. The,
1: in the direction of edge are faster.
0: Although I suppose if you had something like, a, as I said, like before, a date range or something, you'd probably really want a from ID to ID and date or something like that. But yeah, and, yeah. and so the, there's no limitations on using those as columns within the indexes. That's all fine.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's all fine. The mm-hmm. only limitation. So when you select uh, uh, node ID and um, if you look at the columns in in uh, node table or an edge table in sys dot columns today, mm-hmm. you will see all the internal columns. So so node ID and edge ID are computed columns basically, and okay. you will, you select from sys dot columns, you will see the internal columns that they map to, right? So uh, you cannot create. Indexes today, or select those internal columns directly. So you cannot mm-hmm. create indexes on those internal columns directly. But otherwise, there are no li- limitation. You can create indexes on dollar node ID, edge ID, from ID to ID.
0: Okay, so so they are actually, uh, and so they are persisted computed column, or are they uh, just a, a non persisted one?
1: They are non persisted
0: ones. Non persisted, okay. Um, but they're indexed regardless, um, potentially there anyway. So okay. And so, because I know in sys columns there was a graph type and a, a sort of a graph type description as well. So the graph type is just the int and the description, like normal is just a words yeah. that describe the type of thing. And so there were this is a two ID or this is a yeah okay. Yeah. Um And also in sys tables, I noticed there were entries in there for is node and is edge as well. So uh so you can yes. sort of determine that in a list of tables. Um, yes. And and you were saying there are a few system functions as well, so that's good. And so, um, are there things that allow you to build up... Uh, actually, I think I did see something like that. It was like node ID from parts or something like that.
1: Yes. Um, so, so you can yeah, say so yeah.
0: take an object ID and a graph ID and then construct a yeah, node yeah, ID out of I'm that. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's great. And so, and everything else. So there's, is there anything, I suppose, that... I suppose anything it doesn't work with, um, can they, can they be temporary tables?
1: Yeah, so there are certain limitations in the first release, like temporary tables, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. is not supported. And then uh, node and edge tables cannot be memory-optimized or in-memory or hackathon tables.
0: Yep. Yet. Uh, what and about table variables?
1: Yeah, they cannot be table variables they Can't be
0: table variables either. Yep, okay, so it can't be memory-optimized. Um, mm-hmm.
1: or they, they cannot be temporal tables
0: but uh, it can be column store which it, ah is really interesting yeah yeah, self, yeah 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 that's that's an interesting scenario yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: They, uh, both clustered column store and uh, non-clustered column store indexes are supported hmm. so how you get benefit not only your point lookup queries work fast but your aggregate queries uh, or analytical queries will also work uh,
0: well hmm. interesting <clears throat> yeah now that's that's yeah, that's that's good. And so basically, pretty much everything else, uh, I suppose, in the database engine just sort of works with it. Like
1: yeah, and that but, was yeah. the idea. Mm. That was the idea that whatever we whatever uh, advanced technologies that SQL Server today supports should be available on this new functionality, and people should mm. be able to make use of that with their new, you know, evolving needs of graph mm. process.
0: So, Does it uh, also mean that Hierarchy ID would eventually disappear, or well, people we don't encouraged have any- to move to this, or...?
1: Um, we don't have any plans for mm-hmm. making it go away yet.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's no, all right. Um,
1: but if people find this more useful, they are always more... Yeah, to- I
0: suspect they will. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's really, really good. And so... Mm-hmm. now that's great. And so... Um, so, look, thank you, Joe and Shreya. Uh, I suppose the the question is, is there anywhere people will see you or things coming up or anything in the near future? I, I
2: think, you know, a past summit is a very likely event. Shreya, um, yep. I don't know whether – are you doing Ignite?
1: Yes, I am. I will be at Ignite.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So yep. Ignite and past summit is where people can find us.
2: Excellent. Yeah. And then I hope to see you too, Greg. Uh, maybe in a
0: hundred plus days or something like that. <laughs>
2: maybe, maybe next year. When
0: the travel rules change a bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> no, well, well, wait. although yeah, I think some of the uh, uh, the things like laptop bans and things—it just looks like it's going to spread even further. So, yeah. uh, uh, I, I often think, you know, in in that case, there's got to be a market instead of. Um, Banning the laptops there's got to be a big market there for someone who can work out how to find the problems better um, <laughs> because the problem at, or
2: in, yeah yeah, yeah invest, in, like that. invest more in remote technologies and remote meetings yes. and
0: yeah yeah although it is it is always nice to get together the uh, I was saying we uh, have just come back from SQL day in Poland and a few user groups around the u k and things and it's just a world of goodness getting together with the people yeah. So mm. definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you both so very much for today. That's awesome. Thank you for having us. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you for having us.
0: Good to hear from you again. Good.